1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with writer and producer Mark Baxter, and this is a great chat. Um, I, I kind of uh, got to to hear about Mark's work through um, previous guests, uh, are, are friends of him, whether that be uh, Steve Craddock or, or Johnny Harris, and uh, and so I've reached out and and yeah and and basically what come back is uh, the chat that you're about to hear, which is which is glorious and uh, and there's some wonderful records um, talked about on this this episode. And um, before we get on with the chat, I just want to say thanks to uh, 76 for producing this podcast. Um, And big thanks to Scroobius Pip uh, and everybody over at the Distraction Pieces Network. If this is your first time... Listening to off the beaten track. Um, then once you finish listening to my chat with backs, then um, again, why not go and check out the episodes with uh, with Steve Craddock and, and with Johnny Harris um, and have a look because there's there's about 150 episodes uh, in the back catalogue now. We also talk about acid jazz, so there's also you can listen to me interviewing uh, Eddie Piller as well. Um, but yeah, there's 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 a bundle of stuff for you to go and have a rummage around and, and and have a listen um and if that's not enough i also have a patreon page uh, so each week uh, i put up standalone radio shows and video episodes and such so you can go and uh, get stuck into that and support the podcast as well and you can find out about all of this at off the let's get back to today's episode please enjoy off the Beat and track podcast with mark baxter It's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew with him right we're recording joining me today via the means of zoom is uh, writer and producer mark baxter hello
1: hello sir how are you you good
0: yeah i'm all right i'm all right we've uh, We've already had a, a little natter before our press yeah. recall. We 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 put the world to rights on on lockdown <laughs> and quarantine and stuff. So uh, let's uh, let's get straight in with um with some records. Um, okay. Bax, Can you tell me the song that you think has the greatest ever intro?
1: Well, this this was almost impossible. I don't know what I don't know what this shot, This is a torture this This question. You know, <laughs> it's meant to with. be this one. Yeah. I, I, well, I'm gonna. I, I've been doing last. Um, year, he's making a documentary on the Style Council for Sky Arts, which is now finished and been delivered, and that'll be on the telly very, well, October time, I believe, but, so I, I've listened to nothing but Style Council for about a year, and I was a massive fan anyway, but I was sort of rediscovered how good they were, I've just, I mean, I, I think in a way, a lot of political stuff was above my head when I was younger, so I'm going 30, 35 years ago now, it's crazy sure. it. And I wasn't really aware. I just loved the tunes and I loved the look of it all and, the, you know, the sort of, you know, no socks and cappuccinos and that stuff they were doing. So I was really into that, that sort of, that stuff. But I'm, And i I'm have listening to the songs constantly while we've been putting the film together. And the song that stayed with me is Walls Come Tumbling Down, which is um, a strident old number, but the opening, which is the Hammond organ and the brass kicks in, and then you, mm-hmm. we're off and running. It's just got everything. It's got um sort of like soul, political soul song, which is... Uh, at the time, I just loved the music, and only when you listen back and start as you get older yourself, you start realising how far ahead Mr. Weller was with his yeah. head. I mean, I don't, know he, I don't know how he did that when he was, you know, relatively in his mid twenties. Um, after, but the years with the Jam, which is even, you know, again, there's another story. But it's it, crazy. Yeah, so, they, so that tune really stayed with me. And that intro, every time I hit, on the on the edit, every time that the intro started, I would immediately look up. It was just like it, it was like a, a curry and call really, to get you. Yeah. Hang on, here we go, and and all the other songs were going and they were great, and they were like, but they were not. They, after a while, they sort of washed over you. But that one, every time I heard that, I heard it. I heard it a few times. I tell you, I looked up and um, I was gone. I was into it. I was just completely taken into it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it was that that one for me.
0: It's um, I mean, I know you're you're very good friends with with, with, with Paul, and, and I am. I,
1: yeah, well, I, well, I never say very good. I'm very good friends with Paul because I can't believe that. I'm doing that because I was the fan of the style well message i fan really mm-hmm. but I was just at the end of it the style council just blew me away so yeah to, the thought that I know Paul to have a cup of tea with Paul or, cup, or coffee is um, quite weird for me um, and still remains so but you know he, yeah I do see him uh, uh, quite a lot actually and, uh, and um, he's, a, he's an interesting guy there's no two ways about that
0: and of all of his work that he's done uh, I'm going I'm to level with you here Bax the track that you've chose is my favourite thing that Paul Weller's ever done. Wow!
1: <laughs> it's
0: it's. I mean, as wow. much as I could bang on about the jam all, all, all you know all day long, I, I, that track for me just has got everything, and yeah. it's it's just so it just thunders along as well. Yeah, it's got it such it rattles. pace. Yeah, and rolls along. Yeah. So you you mentioned a sort of political side of that. Um, yeah. So would that have come out? Would that would have been sort of. Would that, been the sort of red wedge thing that was going on then,
1: 86, Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was in—I, I was getting into the political thing a little bit because I was in the print and newspaper industry then as a young man for about twenty, and I was a Sogat eighty-two member, and it was quite um, a political time because obviously Murdoch and Thatcher were starting to dismantle the unions. So I was going on. Well, when they they sacked a lot of people at the Sun in eighty-six, and the whopping dispute mm. kicked in. And I went on a few marches with that, so I was getting into it anyway. But it was around that time, yeah. So I was waking up a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say what, what I knew what I was doing, but I just, just obviously that was the time, you know. It was and D and marches yeah. and all that thing was going on, and, and, and the music was in the middle of it. But I was still really my, my passion has remained all my life: music and, and clothes. Yeah. And as a, a young man, it always has done. And, but obviously, um. Other things were, were coming into that as well, but it's only now, really. I mean, I'll be honest, only now, when I li- listen to it now, I, I, and music like that and other stuff that Paul's done, and Mick, Mick Mick as well, because Mick's dad yeah. was Sogat and his brother, they were in the print. Um, I didn't know that at the time, but they, I've, I've met Mick a few times now and you know, they were there as well. So he had that going on in his own family, so that was all part of it. But, you know, you, it's just a, how they could art, uh, articulate that at quite a young age, and I were, we were all stumbling over just just talking in pubs, really, and it was just, a, yeah. you know, it was crazy. And that, but to put it into a song like that, amazing. So, yeah, it was all Red Wedge and, and, and all that stuff, the minor strike. Yeah. But he did it in such a subtle way that you, only the message is really still there now. You didn't re- I didn't really realise it at the time. Yeah. It's such a clever way of doing it, really. And, um, yeah, it's a great track.
0: Wonderful. Track two, backs. first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you.
1: This is a weird one, this one, because when I think back, it's like, for me, it's the people I was with with these records. You know, it's, it's the record itself, is the people that I was at, with at the time. And I've gone with Grooving with Mr. Blow by Mr. Blow. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> it's a great old track. But the reason why I picked it is because when we were in the print, it was on night work, like, like a late, sh- late shift. So we finished about 11, and we would, de- on a Friday, we would go to the Locomotion, which is a club that Wendy May run at the Town and Country Club. I think it would have been around late 80s I mean a bit vague with the dates but and we would go mob Andy we would go like 10 Andy because we all finished work at the same time and we might get a quick couple of pints and then go over to the TNC. and and it would be it was basically like a grown up disco it was just a load of people diving around a Motown and Norman Soul and and um, you know a bit of weather and Jack whatever it might have been it was all over the place really and it, it was just good vibes it was a massive party every time I went it was like a party and I heard that with Mr. Blow, and no, idea it was by Didn't know what it what it was, and I heard it as I walked into a, a club one night, and it took me all night to find out who it was. I think I might have spoke to a couple of DJs or people around the DJ, saying, "What is that?" And I've never forgotten that when it kept it come on a couple of times, and we went crackers. We were just going <laughs> we yeah. getting crackers. Obviously, I had a few drinks or whatever, and they were flying around. But it was all good people, all people I worked with. And it was like we were like in that in that game was, it was like a social club really. Um, at work because our shift work was quite difficult for people to break into because you, you finish you start at 3 in the afternoon finish at 11 most of your mates are out already or whatever yeah. we all went out as a group and that, that group of people well, I lost my job in, uh, eventually in 96 I've, I've, I hang on for a few years after the whopping but I lost it my, I've never found that um, camaraderie ever again um, and I was out with a guy this week having a drink who I used to work with, and he said, exactly the same thing." He's like, "We we had that time when we was young. We was on that teenage, well, no, late twenty, mid twenties, late 20s And it was just that, um, them people, and we we all we, we all cut on people's fifty fifth birthday, birthdays, sixtieth birthdays, whatever. And we all, and it's just in in seconds, we're all laughing and joking and taking a piss, basically. But it, but it's just um, that's what it is. I just when I close my eyes and hear that record, I can see these guys' faces and the girls we work with, all just laughing at each other and having yeah. a great time. So it's that emotional, for me, that's the emotional um, element of that uh, record, really.
0: And what, what is that emotion, Max?
1: Well, it's a bit It's a bit nostalgic. It's a bit it's like, it's a bit of loss because we don't do it anymore. We can't do it anymore. We're all too old and we're all too busy and we're whatever. And that's a shame because when we get together, um, it's, it's like for a couple of hours, You just like... 30 years hasn't happened. It's, like, yeah. it's just, you know, what you're doing, who you're with, what you're going, and it's just bubbling out of everybody. Yeah, and It's very hard to get everyone together again, very hard. So it's a bit, of, it's a bit of a loss there, I think, but also, um, you realise how lucky it was. I was very, very lucky to walk into that job. Um, wasn't bad financially. Um, and it gave me, uh, I met some very good people and they, they were like brothers as much as work colleagues, really. Mm. Um, and um, they remain so it's, 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 you don't find many people in life like that you know you, 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 people come and go and you know you move on and whatever you're doing but to find a group of people that you didn't grow up with they were people you, you worked with you, you bumped into a, a young a sort of in your late teens and in your early 20s and to remain friends with them and it's all now it's all done through Facebook and social media like yeah. everyone keeps an eye on each other you know what yeah. you do as I said earlier about maybe we earlier about Catching up with people, what you're doing, are you okay? Do you need anything? What can I do? And you know, they're all over the place. They're all, you know, up north, they're abroad, whatever. So, um, I would love to go to back that club one night now in our late fifties and sixties, <laughs> and we probably last about five minutes. But, <laughs> but to hear that again would be marvelous. And I've got to know Wendy, mate, a little bit, who, who was the DJ because I've been in a company a few times, and she still DJ's, and she still got great tunes. And she, I mean, she had a. Really great party night down there and it was um that was our yeah, that was our that was our emotional roller coaster years, I think. I'll
0: tell you what, Bax, that song has got so much importance to me as well. Um the That's club, strange, isn't it? The, it's, <laughs> the the club that I've worked at for thirty years, the first time I ever walked in there as, as a clubber, that record was playing when I walked through the doors wow. and wow. I'd never heard it before and I walked straight in people? And I walked straight up to the DJ and I went, "Who's this?" <laughs> yeah. And went out and bought it. And I've been asked to go on a, a radio show next week, and right. and they said you can pick one record that you think a lot of people might never have heard that you think they're like. No, they're and I've picked Groovy Mister Blow. No,
1: how
0: strange is that? It? Like it's such a tune, mate. Like, I
1: mean, it's borderline sort of cheesy, sort yeah. of bubblegummy. But but I think if you get in the right company, in the right time, and the right vibe, yeah. He just, just takes you over. I, just, I'm all, I mean, I, mean, I, I listened to it like, when I was doing, putting this together. Yeah, um, and I've got it on vinyl or whatever. But I listened to it. I, I'm, you know, I just you just you just you're away. You know, you're you're, yeah. you're, you're swept away quite quickly. So I'm glad I'm not on my own.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm with you on that one, mate. Hundred percent. Backs track three. The song reminds you of your time at school.
1: Well, this is going to be me in Peckham. Um, and mid well, I'm born in '62, so probably mid to late '60s. Can't help myself by the four tops because cool. I heard that over. I'm, like, well, I'm actually, I can, I can still see myself in a school gymnasium climbing about on ropes or whatever we were doing, singing that over and well, the chorus over and over and over and over again. And it's insanely catchy, which was obviously what it was meant to be. But, it, but I was only a kid, but. Um, I wasn't particularly coming from, my dad was more a telly boy than a, a mod, if you know what I mean. But he had these records, he was a, he was a pub singer, my dad. So he, he loved music and he, he had these singles in the flat, which I've now got. And that was one of them. So I must have heard it indoors or it was a playground tune, you know, when we sing it. But I, that that song, again, if I hear it, I'm back in Peckham in 19, God knows when it was, 68, whatever, 69. And I've met a tune come out in around, I think 65, 66. But I, you know maybe it took a couple of years to get to the deep south, but um, we um, I don't know, but yeah, I can hear that, I can hear that song, and um, I'm gone again. You know, I, I'm, I'm most of the children, all my children on here that you've asked me to think about, we are all from a, a, a guy, a bygone day, really. They're, they're more yeah. because that I've, I've been, whether this is the um, result of the, of the lockdown, I'm not sure, but I've been looking back and you know, it's like, getting older people and find out where people are doing it and that has made me look back at old photos and get the old tunes out. I've gone backwards a little bit. I mean I've gone through a few personal issues with my mum sadly dying this year. So all that's all wrapped up in it really. But but the um um the tunes are just um they were life you know forming really yeah. I think I've always I mean I've never grown tired of the four tops and I'm now fifty yeah. eight so I mean that's we
0: a get, that's a glorious record mate.
1: A beautiful record, beautiful single. They made some amazing, amazing singles. Yeah. Levi Stubbs' voice is just, just, the I was a godsend. Oh, Absolutely, um, but uh, yeah, no, uh, just amazing tunes, and um, it just again, you know, memories of good
0: people and good times, really. So, if, if we're talking about good times, then so, so you enjoyed school?
1: No, how it. What, what didn't you like about school? It, I. I'm no good being told what to do, and I know, and I've learned that lately late in life more than when I was a kid. But I'm, I'm, I think it's institutions. I'm not good at very. I'm not good at being put in institutions. I mean, I, my poor old mum had a terrible time getting me to school. I mean, i I'm, I'm, you know, I did okay once I was there, but I default going to school. In fact, when I was eleven, I, I went to secondary school in Peckham, and uh, within about three, three weeks, I was um, excluded because I was not fighting as much, but I was sort of defending myself as I saw it against this, or suddenly gone from a little junior school into a big comprehensive in Peckham. And it ain't easy, it's not an easy move when you're 11. I think I was quite a young 11, if you know what I mean, 11, 12. And I just didn't, I couldn't get on with it at all. So within three weeks, my mum was getting phone calls saying, take the boy out of school because he's in trouble and he's doing this, he's doing that. I didn't go to school for a year. I had a year out, which at that age, 11, 12, is quite, that's massive. That's, yeah, it's massive, yeah. And my mum was like, you've got to go back. So I ended up going into a, uh, what they call it a tutorial, which is like a for the bad boys. But I wasn't really a bad boy, but I got put in there anyway because that's where the place they could put me. So all the kids in there were quite rough and tough and, you know, with trouble, trouble merchants, or what I would call them.
0: How was that so then?
1: Here, huh? How was that then? Um, I did three three mornings a week. That's all I could do. And the rest of the time, my old mum... God rest her, made me go to the local library, Campbell Library, and read. And she said, You are, if you're not doing it in, you're not educating yourself at school or this tutorial, you will do it yourself. I will put you in there, you go in there, and I will come and get you three or four hours later. And and to to be fair, I I read anything. I read sport, drama, the Uzu. I love the Uzoo. I love the Uzoo. All these different people and uh, fashion. Uh, art books anything I just I, I was soaking it up I was I was quite a curious I would say fairly intelligent kid but it's just the, the fact I had to do it with a load of 40 other guys in the room when they were throwing things around and causing havoc and I just couldn't cope with that I wasn't made for that I wasn't I'm not good in I'm not good with groups of people you know like that I'm not really it's not my thing really it's, it's I, it... sorry. Go on. sorry Vax go on carry on no, I was about to say so I just reacted I just I, I see kids get bullied I got bullied and I was lash out. I wouldn't just accept it and take it and 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 um I mean sometimes I did, I had no option. It was about ten of them, you know, what can you do? You're gonna get battered. So mm-hmm. that, that but I would then finally get caught doing something or be or taken out of a school class or just done something or whatever. It was only three weeks. I mean, three weeks at secondary school was crazy, but it was obviously going to end up in major tears, so yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go. Mum wouldn't wouldn't send me. So she said, like he's got he's got a year out. So they but they made there is obviously back then you had to have some sort of education, but I, I self educated really without really realizing it.
0: It's interesting, you know. You, you said at the beginning of, of answering that that track that um, you know you you didn't like you know the institution of it and. And the amount of people that I've spoke to on this podcast that are, are, are you know, fundamentally, you know, like yourself, self-employed creatives, you know, mm. uh, whether it be writers, musicians, you know, producers, whatever, um, most of them have that mindset that, you know, they had a thirst for stuff, yeah. but not within the constraints of, you know, an exactly. institution. Exactly.
1: And, uh, and you're right, because that's, that's what I notice with a lot of people I know, um, and you speak to them they had a very similar story I was alright at junior school young kid but even there I can remember having you know a lashing out a few times and not 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 really responding most kids just go to school and get on with it I was always questioning everything what's this for? why do I got to do that mm. who are you, what are you ta- I was always doing that without really always articulating that I would just do it as a like, pretty like sulking or something I don't know but, I was, but I went, only when I went into a, from a junior school into a, a secondary school and there's a lot of Fahs and Herberts in there. Basically, yeah. that's what they were. Just, and there was very little uh, aspiration educational-wise. It was just get them in there, get them through five years and get them out again. Yeah. And I felt that. And I, and I felt that as a kid. And when I was 13, I had a chance to go. That's how bad I was. I had a 13, even at the secondary school. When I had a year out and went back on a second year. I mean, you can imagine that. In I was in the old Kent Road. This is fresh meat. I walk in, I've had everyone a year under their belt, and I'm walking in. Hello, we got here? So I was off again. I was all that, all that happened again. I was all right, but I, I was a bit bigger and a bit, bit tougher, and I just got on with it. Yeah. But um, but I wasn't enjoying it at all. And then the headmaster, God bless him, said to me, You're good at art. You're very good at art. You know, English and history and that, but, but art is what you're Why don't you go to We'll take you out of school and put you in art college at 13. I still wouldn't do it. I still wouldn't go. I went, No. No, I don't want to do anything. Like, and i really regret that because I, I, I could have started a lot younger than I did yeah. into this game. Really, I was, a, I was, I didn't come come to this very late because I was always fighting against that, being put into corners and being told what to do. But looking back, my mom, my mum was always like, "You're going to regret that." No, she was right, really. But I managed to get there in the end. But it took a long time to yeah. to to do what I'm doing. But um, but he, he could see that I was never, I wasn't cut up. I must, if you think about it, thousand kids there's going to be 10 in there that just never going to work. It's never going to work for them. 100%. It's never going to work for them. They, they, it can't be for everybody, especially yep. in the 70s when it was all experimental anyway. And he throw all these kids together and go, get on with it. And you've got 10, 20 of them kids are going to go, this is never going to work for me. I'm not made for this. And I, I think I must have been one of them. But on my last day, I did a few, I do the exams. My last day, I run out of there. I mean, I'm not joking. I run out of there and I run all the way home, pretty much all the way home. I was like, that's me done. Finished on a Friday. I was working on a Monday. And I never looked back. I just when I, when I work, it was like a different. I'm like a different person. I had to get out of that school environment. And you're right, creative people. You speak to them. They say, "I hate school. Can't get on with it. It was too restrictive. It had to be something that they like. Been in the army, I suppose. Really,
0: it's I weird think. though, because also that sometimes comes laced with like a little addendum on that where they'll go, but then. Which ties in almost what you just said there, you know, there'll be like an art teacher or someone in, in you know, an English teacher that a spot, you know, a bit of creativeness in them and go, oh, yeah, there was this one teacher that got it. Do you know what That's I mean? It. And like, it. and, uh, and it's generally the art teacher. You it's know?
1: generally the art teacher where they cut nice guys out. But you know what? I was at school for four years. I couldn't name you more than three kids. That's the truth. I, I That's how bad. I can't name you more than three kids. I've never seen anybody from that school. I've never wow. seen anybody from that school. Maybe one or two after the when we, we first left, but just quickly let that go. But teachers wise, I can name you three or four teachers, which is who uh, I think got it. But they were still, uh, bound to make you stay there and do what you got to do. They wouldn't. Yeah. It wasn't. You, 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 there's no way they could do one on one lessons, and they might do it now. I don't know, but they couldn't do it then. Well, they weren't gonna do it then. I mean they would just like you just gotta sit here and suffer it. But occasionally you get a word in your ear old going, Why don't you go and do that over there? Or what I mean, I, know, and I and that's what I did. I was sort of I just I I think by the age of 13, 14, I sort of worked out the toll it was taken on my mum. She was really stroked. My old man was like, just get him out of school and get him to go work. You know, he was like, you know, he's not working, but she was no he's got to get education. She was right, she was she was she was definitely aware of that. Yeah. She couldn't read really or write herself very well. I mean, it's true. She was born during the war. But she had no schooling. So she was very keen for... Look, me and my brother both got a, some education. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and other teachers, two or three teachers were very similar, but they, they could see it was a bit of a lost cause, but they would definitely um, watch out for you. If it got a bit heavy or you got a bit silly or something was going to go off, they would pull you aside and say, like, just go over there for the for rest of this lesson. And... um and us we'll go again tomorrow and that was it was really literally that just get get through the four, year, four years and you know it was rough and tough it was not easy I mean old Camp Road we, you know all the schools around here all fighting and racking all the way into work into school on the way home to school lunch times it's just a rough, tough environment and a lot of people I speak to they go ageing on the school yeah I survived <laughs> yeah that's it That, that yeah. really, I mean no one's got any qualifications no, I haven't got any no one's got no one I know honestly no one no one went to university no one went to college they come out of school went to work and they then I'm talking in late seventies. Um, you can find you can find a job. Yeah. Fairly easy, even though there was other unemployment eventually. But like it, it would have been anything. You know, work in yeah. a cardboard box factory, it didn't matter. It was no it was no other aspiration to do too much. Just get a job and then off you go. Get some money in your pocket, off you go.
0: Well, with that money in your pocket, uh backs, <laughs> nice. what was the, what was tenuous link there, mate, you like that. Nice. <laughs> what was the first record you remember buying?
1: What Buster by the suite. Oh, wonderful! Great tune. Yeah, we we didn't have a record shop in, in uh, Campbell. I can remember. I, I bought it from a news agent who had a like a, these racks you can buy greetings cards on, and he had records in it, that were put in paper sleeves.
0: Yeah.
1: And I must have heard that. I, I guess he'd top the pops. I mean, they yeah. were amazing. to Look at that band. And when you look back, you cannot believe they got away with it, but they yeah. did. Um, but the tunes are great. They're really. I mean, even now you put them one, they go. Oh, that's a Great old track. And, um, yeah, blockbuster. And then, um, in a news agent, which is like, people say, what are you talking about? You, yeah, but, but it was like, it wasn't like, you know, there wasn't, we had no real access to HMV, not that age anyway. Yeah. I mean, I was sort of in 72, 73. Um, you all, everything was local. Then I did I mean, I went, I, I started getting to West End around 13, 14, mainly to avoid going to school. But, um, that's another story. But, um, uh, News yeah,
0: agents I, were a thing though. Even when I was, you know, I'm, I'm a couple of years younger than you. Uh, but even like I remember there being racks in newsagents and it was all ex-jukebox singles that's it you could get all the ex-jukebox like and so you'd have to sort of sit tight because I couldn't afford them like when they were in the charts but like give it about a month if I went down there I knew I could probably get something just as it was on its like on its way out of the charts I could get it middle pushed out
1: you know, <laughs> yeah, the middle's gone, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and, they, and they, they, those middles were part of our life, you they? know. They, 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 my old man loves them, and, and yeah. never understood, never got any of that. Never understood at the site now. I mean, I've actually got a jukebox, I bought a jukebox, I was given it. Well, I actually, got a jukebox as payment or something, wow, and, and that, that, that's full of that. I, I actually saw I went to a warehouse where to pick it up, and this guy had a warehouse, and I'm not kidding you, the size of Wembley Stadium. And in there was as he flicked all the lights on or lights come on for us he had a million things in there like jukeboxes pinball machines one arm bandits um, the carousel horses he had he was a he was a guy at a, a concession down the south coast um, and he we would do work for him and he wouldn't pay you but he'd go help yourself with a jukebox <laughs> one arm <laughs> bandit so I bought I got a jukebox one arm bandit and I had a huge case of singles all with the middles and he had a machine to bang the middle out he had that machine he had that Really? Um, yeah, yeah. you could buy the machine to do that, I and mean, but I try to do it a few. I mean, I'm cracking the records. Quite difficult to do, actually. Yeah. But Yeah. He, he, he was he was amazing. This fella. And uh, oh, that'd be
0: a yeah, paradise.
1: Strolling around something yeah, like honestly, that. we took my, 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 me and my brother both went in, and we were walking around for about five hours going. This is just stuff, yeah. <laughs> and I actually sometimes think i dream of it because I can't, I don't know where it was even. I've just been in the van, been in the van, I've still got the jukebox and the one I'm bad I'm going back in the late 80s, we got that,
0: yeah.
1: So, um, uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean, that, that but then, then I started working out why I had our the middle. I never realized, I never as a kid never get that at all, yeah. And like, oh, it's a jukebox, oh, I've got, yeah, but, you know, but um, yeah, no, that, that that song, and again, you know, uh, you say a different world then. You know, the, the record shops and the, the weren't really our thing. It was just like getting where you can. And Yeah, yeah, totally. That, again, that, that tune would have been a great massive tune in the schools, I suppose.
0: Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the... Regulations regarding playing licensed music and such so if you want to hear the songs just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these if you can't find it on there I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. I mean, whilst we talk about records and that, and, uh, and you know, from, from younger days, like, um, growing up, like, was was there music on a lot at home?
1: Yeah. Yeah, my old man was, uh, he sung in pubs and clubs, Young man. Great voice, actually. Biggest regret, I've got no tape of that. We've got no recording of him doing that. He died in, he died 20 years ago, so it was a shame. Yeah. But he, uh, I was, you know, like, again, Taken out at 11, 12, you know, take him with you, and I'll end up in a pub, club, anywhere, you know, East End, uh, all, over, all over the South, and then there'll be geezers in there, all with dodgy names because they, no one, no, trying to hide their identity. <laughs> and I'll be cute, I'll walk in, put a name down on a bit of sheet of paper um, to uh, get in a queue, to get two songs, maybe three if he's good, and then get on the stage, and, and there'll be a piano player, a, a, a drummer. It sounds like a dream, I mean, but I was there at 30, twelve, thirteen. I loved it. I mean, I I um, sitting there with a bag of prawns and a <laughs> packet pack of crisps and whatever, trying to try nigga pint. And um, you know, and um, that was a very very evocative time. And the old man was a good singer. And but yeah, in every Sunday would be before we went out. Sunday lunchtime, he would get up early, and he I suppose the way he was rehearsing. But he would he would copy that. He listen to like Nat King Cole, Sinatra, Tony Bennett, etc. And he learn a learn a brush up on the lyrics so i heard a lot of that my uncles were in the mod thing a little bit They was they, they, I, they were all sort of on the fringes of that um so they, the music was always any singles we got is like you know obviously the classic small faces the, Who and, mm-hmm. the the Motown. but amongst that would be all the old the crooners that the old man loved you know like singers he really genuinely loved and i took him to see sinatra a couple of years before he died at the album oh my man I've never seen my man It was, it was quite a big old rough old lump, lump really and it, he was just so quiet he was just watching it like it was like I don't know seeing God for him I suppose because he yeah. he, he, had every, he had every Sinatra album um, I think going and he would just idolise him and to actually see him in like live in a, a, a in an arena was he was just I never I still remember him being very very quiet he was just yeah. like soaking it all up and uh yeah, so he's looking love... how lovely. Yeah, lovely, yeah. and his love of his love of all that has gone into me and I, I love all that sort of culture as well, the you know, the not only what they were singing, what they looked like, what they were wearing, and I love all that sort of fifties, sixties thing. Um so yeah, no, we were surrounded by music. I mean, mum was more of a sort of um, I suppose she was like nineteen fifties Bobby socks up, so Guy Mitchell and right, that sort of thing, really. Yeah. But she, she she wasn't really a pop kid, really. She wasn't really into it. But my old man just loved the tune. If he heard a good tune, it didn't matter who he buy, he, he'll buy it and and, and um, try and learn it. To so then try and get a piano player piano play of Sunday lunchtime. We had no idea what he was talking about most of the time. It was it was, it was hilarious, really. And, uh, great great stories come out of that. Yeah.
0: Track five: the song soundtrack your years clubbing.
1: Well, unlike most people who went to acid-house clubs, I was going to jazz clubs. I was a, I, I had come out into a jazz team, uh, which would have been on the back of... I when I was on about the jukebox earlier. When we, when we were working down Camden Market in the mid to late 80s, we had our own stall buying and selling brick a brick, vintage clothes, et cetera. And then on a Sunday lunchtime, there would be Dingwalls with our jazz um, club, run by Charles Peterson and Patrick Falls and I would spend my little bit of half hour lunch break getting in there and hearing the tunes and it would be obscure nineteen sixties, fifties, sixties jazz, but dance tracks really, I couldn't dance. I would just get out of the way of the guys. They were great. But I, I would hear great tunes. And I and I got mixed up. That was that that was that style council, clothing, Dufferess St. George lifestyle, which was like every weekend you'd be out, Friday and, I, and I, most of my mates, most of my peers would be Old Kent Road, the million pubs down the Old Kent Road after football. And I got fed up with that quite quickly, thinking, yeah, it's great, but you, you meet the same people, you hear the same music, and talk, hear the same tales. And I wanted more. So I joined Ronnie Scott's when I was 23. Didn't know what I was doing again, but I went on my own most of the time because none of my mob would go with me. So I would listen to, you know, I saw some great old acts in there like Chet Baker and at the end of their careers, really. But I heard them and saw them. And then, uh, so the track, I'm going to pick is Moon Dance by Grady Tate, which is like the, the Van Morrison track, but it's a jazz version, which is going to really be very niche and obscure, but it's a wonderful version. And I, I again, in memory of me, well, when I say dancing, more like stamping out a small fire, someone called it once. <laughs> and, um,
0: <laughs>
1: so, so, so that, um, in a couple of the Fez, which was down Paddington Way, Again, you like know, little underground, and I think might be underneath an hotel down here, you know, A little basement room. Very low key, but great tunes. And no, and again, the clothes everyone was in this lifestyle thing, you know, uh, loafers and no socks and a bit of kibiche. And you know, it, it was like it was an old school sort of look, um, but a jazz look. You know, you had wooden wooden beads on and all that game. You know, all that thing, esy jazz really. And um, yeah. I, I can, I can, if I hear that record again, I'm, I could just picture all these. Going to a meeting, and again I met, I met a new circle of people. Because I had to go pretty much on my own, or with one mate or so. You meet new people, and I still mate with them people now, which is great. Again, you, you, they would say, "Listen to this, check this out." You know, go here. This record shop's got this, and it would be like like white labels and you know bootlegs and stuff, because this stuff was really hard to find. So yeah, that would be my. Where other people were going out doing the road thing, I was going in, in the sort of smaller jazzy world really
0: so when would that have been was that around sort of 88 then
1: yeah like late like 80s early 90s yeah there was a, a, we, we would we would do that and then we'd be at the, the, the fridge at Brixton there'd be that there'd be Charles and Patrick Forbes would go we'd be up there and that'd be really busy up there on a Saturday night you know like sort of get there about 10 o'clock and finish at 3-4 where it was Again, hearing great music and just you know, just a different vibe. It wasn't like, you know, drinking pints and pints of lager and having a, having a tear up at the end of it. It was just, you know, a bit more of a, a, an easy vibe and, and, and listening to the music and um, just, just a different lifestyle. I think that's where I started moving out of my sort of South London world into another world and thinking there's other things I could be doing here. You know, I mean, I was losing job, get a job, lose a job, get a job. I thought, I've got to do it myself. I've got to take take control of this and do it myself. And I started, I went, went self-employed in 97, 98. And then a couple of times, well, once, once I've gone back on the books, but basically I've always been doing it since then. And, um, and just started writing and DJing. And because of this life, I was seeing other people doing it, going, well, why can't I do that? You know, but I was 35 yeah, at the time or whatever, you know, late like nearly forty, you know, thinking it, quite late to start that. And, and and but it was just um I could see the it was a, a life I liked. I like I like that sort of vibe, you know, and it was less less aggy. You know, a lot of people I knew were angry, angry with their life what it turned out. They got married young, kids young, job wasn't great, housing wasn't great. They were angry really. Whereas I'm I was sort of didn't do that until later. Um, waited and just Enjoyed me as well. Enjoyed myself. Or just check things out, you know. Just got into other things, really, and it, and it, and that's what I'm doing now. That's what, all these years later. I'm doing, you know, books and producing films. But it was never really a, a, an aspiration at the time. It was just it just organically evolved evolved into that. Um, and I think that come out of that lifestyle, that late eighties, nineties lifestyle, seeing the possibilities, really. Which I which unless you go there, you wouldn't see them.
0: I think there was it was it was such an interesting time, sort of, you know. I, you know, maybe say eighty-seven to, to to ninety-two. Like the the explosion of music in the UK. Like yeah. you know, we you saw the evolution of house music. You saw, you know, that whole acid jazz, you know, thing. Like. You know, come to the the, the forefront. You know, you had what was going on in Manchester. You know, happening, yeah, like and you, you know, you, you know, basically, you, you saw hip hop like evolve. There was there was yeah. so much happening. You know, and yeah. obviously, you know, rave culture. You know, these, these yeah. huge illegal raves that were, were were going on all around where I lived. Like you know, in Essex, there yeah. was every single field had something happening in it. Yeah, I
1: no, mean, it's all goes in the melting pot. All that. Mm. mentioning all them genres go in a melting pot, and then I think in in a way you pick your Way through that, um, and find out which 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 fits with you or sits nicely with you, and I Definitely. think that's what that's what I found. I, you know, there's certain things I just got into. I I think really again, you know, listening to the records was as a kid. My dad, you know, there was a lot of jazz in there, neck and cold, but like before he went um, sort of easy listening, he was it was a jazz trio. Hmm. So I heard quite a lot of early stuff like that, and um, I picked up it on it again really. But it, I mean, we were been exposed to some more radical early 60s soul jazz, really. Yeah. Um, great tunes, but people no one's ever heard of, really. And it, it's a shame that these guys were never going to go to commercial, but in a way we didn't care. You know, we wasn't, I've never really been into commercial massively pop, the pop well, really. It's always been quite niche uh, for me. I, I quite like them guys and their stories and why they didn't quite make it, but it didn't matter. They carried on anyway. I like that. I mean, I'll get that. Yeah. Um, and, um it's not, I mean, obviously, there's a re over the years, but you're right, at the time, there were so many things you could explore um, and dip in, dip out, really. But um, for me, that one, the day, really, the, 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 the sort of jazzy thing. Um, so, you know, I then went into DJing, DJ, so Northern Soul, 60s pop, ska, reggae, bit of blues, all that, but it's all, all of a certain... Twenty years era, yeah, um, and I've never really come out. <laughs> really come out of it, really.
0: All right, well let's take you, let's take your um back's favourite oh, song right, yeah. from an artist from your home county.
1: Well, this is going to be. This might, I don't know. You might know this. You might not. But this is the, a, a single called "Nobody's Fall by Cold Turkey. Right now, obviously, I can see you don't know what that is. But I don't that, know that. that. What, no. Well, it's basically Ray. It's Ray Davies under a different name. Ray Davies. It's a, It's a. It's a song that. The second series of the TV show Budgie Adam Faith, which I love, absolutely love, because I saw that in the 80s on Channel 4 reruns. And the song, and I thought it was Adam Faith singing it, but it's not, it's Dave Davies, Ray's brother singing it. I think. I'm still not too sure. But for some reason they put it out and they couldn't they couldn't put it out as a kink, so they put it out as a group called Colt Shirley. Uh, I'm not sure why. But it's a song about the dark little streets of, this, of, of, of the alleyways of Solo. I mean, and I was exploring Solo then, and I really identified with the, the way Budgie was, uh, the character of Budgie was like hand on mouth and making a living like the best he could. And I was doing that. I was, in a way, I had no wages. I was going meeting people, trying to keep it straight, you know, don't get involved with the noughties, just stay straight. And what can I do here? And it, I just identified with him. I, like, I love Adam Faith. He's great in it. And uh, the, again, the clothes, early 70s, it's a bit glam rocky, but he's, like, oh, he's got like, know, some sort of feather cut. It's that sort of look like, you know, it's just coming out of the suede head thing. Yeah. It's, it's all thrown uh, out. But anyway, I loved all that. And um, even 15 years after they made it, I, I, I really got it. And it's back on Telly Now. It's back on Talking Pictures and they're showing it again. And, uh, they haven't got to this song yet. It's, they're doing the first series soon. No one's heard this, but I found this. I found a single years later and uh, bought it from Czech Republic of all places. You can't find it's, it. It's, people know about it now, but I was for years. Who is this? What is yeah. this? So that song, but it just it sums up an, a part of London and an era of London for me. I mean, and Ray obviously Ray Davies wrote "Walk Loose Sunset" and many, many, many other songs, and he is the he's the poet laureate of London, if you want really. I suppose. Yeah. So I nearly went to Waterloo Sunset, but I thought, no, I'll go niche and just and just upset everybody.
0: <laughs> well, I've never so, heard it, so I'm going to. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to like going movie, and having a movie, listen movie, to
1: that. I mean, it's a lovely, great lyrics. It's all about the old back streets of London, really. solo, really, and it's a bit like dark the dark side of it, but you know, and then the, what you can make of it. Lovely.
0: Well, you can get back. Uh, you can put your DJ out back on there for uh, the last track uh, of Axe, yeah. and it's a song that many may not know that you would like yep. them to hear?
1: Uh, it's called I Think It Over by Sam Fletcher, which is a, a Northern Soul, well, they call it bubblegum sort of stroke bubblegum sort of track. So it's quite frothy and poppy in from the Northern Soul uh, sort of genre, but it's got fantastic strings on it. I'm a bit of a sucker for strings. I love a bit of strings in a pop song or a soul tune I love a bit of that I don't know what that does something to me I don't know but anyway this has got a lovely bit of that and I, I heard this for the first time in. I went to see a play called Once Upon a Time in Wigan which is about a northern soul scene and I went and saw it at the Greenwich Theatre so you know I don't know 100 people in there and at, at the intermission as I was going to go and get a, a red wine um, this song broke out I heard this song and it just stopped me in my tracks and I was like wow what is this and I went and bought the soundtrack to the play immediately to find this track and every I swear to you every gig I've ever done DJ i played it it's a, it's a but no again it's one one of them you've got to discover but I, I if I have to do top five ever it's, it's going to be in there it's just a beautiful track great vocal performance I don't know nothing about the guy at all <laughs> But I don't. Care. I don't want to know anything. I just the, the, the fact that I come up with this one track is enough for me. It's just a beautiful track. Um, well, you know, that's, that's it, really.
0: Well, I put together a, a, a playlist to accompany this podcast as well online, so yeah, people can go yes. and uh, get stuck in uh, to, to all of the tracks um, uh, yeah, once exactly. uh, once they've listened to us, um, have our chat. Um, Backs as we find ourselves coming out of, of, of lockdown, uh, hopefully. Um, What's, um, what's happening? What you got going on? What's coming up?
1: Well, we've got the yeah, so Star Council film. That's done. It's delivered. That's our, that's our biggest film to date. We me and a young guy called Lee Cogswell set a company up in 2013, The film company up, just making little documentaries with no budget, really. And then we've gradually made a... We've made quite a few films now and they've been picked up now. Sky Arts have got involved and we've made a film on Peter Blake for them and, and also now Star Council. So that's that. I've got a, I've got a book just out now a little children's book which is raising money for dementia um which is out just come out 10 days ago and uh the idea is is, is all the money from that goes to dementia charities because they looked after my mum at the end of her life and uh i want to put something back to that which is a nice thing to do and we've raised nearly two two and a half grand already which is amazing i'm really pleased with that so that's that's out now i mean where, um, where can
0: people get that from Huh?
1: Uh, if they email me at mono underscore media at otmail.com dot com, I'll. It's, it's purely from me. I've got no. I've got no shops. I've got no. Not online. It's just. I've got a box of them too. I've got five boxes of them in the in the spare room, and I'm just me and my wife did it because uh, she lost her mum about a year ago. So we've had a bit of a year on the mums. Um, so we got together during lockdown, started writing this kid's story about a robin that everyone's got a robin that comes along in their garden or wherever, and it reminds. Some says on oh, Aunt, in Auntie Nelly come back or whatever it might be. But I found out where, where I live is quite a diverse culture, a lot of cultures. And, and there, a lot of people got the same story, you know, whether they're West Indian or, you know, Indian or Turkish. They've got something like that. they got, yeah, the, the Robin coming back is bringing me good luck or it's... So I, I use that sort of analogy to write a story It was a bit cathartic, really, about my mum, really. But I didn't want to just do it as a book and then try and sell it. I wanted to raise some money and I was at a was at a meeting with um, a social club at, at the at the home nursing home where my mum was at the end. And I had no money to get the minibus fixed. I mean, that basic as that. So I said to the woman, wait, well, but I'll find that money for you. So that's what I'm doing. But because of COVID, I haven't seen her since because that was in March. Because of that, I've, I've lost touch. But I've got in touch with a home. And I'm going to put the money to that. Uh, we're doing that um, now. So that's, 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 that's the, the project, but the next one is Skinhead and Suedehead book, which is out in March. That's a a book with Omnibus um, about these, it's basically street style, 67 to 73, which covers a lot of these tunes actually, but it's like Skinhead, original Skinheads, it concentrates really on the fashions more than the political, which they weren't quite as political as in the 80s, it got a bit horrible in the 80s, very very horrible. This stuff, and that, that's the difficult bit to explain to people. They think you say skinhead, they think, Oh, they're racist and fascist. Yeah, the guys were quite rough and tough back in the 60s, but it was more about them. They were they come out of Jamaican culture, really. It was all about the scar and blue beat. They come out of that, they adopted the, the look.
0: It's a shame skinhead. that every time like, I mention skinhead culture, like yeah. I have to say what you've just you said,
1: to, you have to like, quantify it, yeah, because Which it's a shame.
0: It is. It's been tagged by that oil movement, and and I mean, I, where I live now, I'm, I'm literally like five minutes from Tilbury, and that was not a nice place for to be around oh. in the uh, in the 80s with skinhead culture. Then no. that wasn't good.
1: Yeah, you know? I, I remember three three guys. I lived in the estate in Peckham, and I remember three guys. It would have must have been late 60s, early 70s, and, they, and I, again, again, I've got a memory of these three guys, they're like just like three peacocks walking through the estate. Absolutely pin-sharp, razor-sharp creases, very colourful. I mean, hard enough, as they say, hard enough to roller skate on. You know, they were tough, tough boys, you know. <laughs> they were really, really tough. And um, But they look amazing. And I've never forgotten that look. And then um, Suede, which come out of that, which people grew their hair a little bit and softened it a little bit, Um, it has got loads of elements of the Ivy League in there. So it's got, I mean, you know, I League sort of clothing so American so, so loafers and you know blazers and, and, and cottage tyres and that sounds I mean it's very again very niche but you can see the evolution from the hard, the hard skinheads look which was a bit of a um, an anti-hippie look really mm. yeah, that's really ticked off all these hippies and they would say like we ain't that so shave all your hair off I and mean, that's not us but it's just a radical look at the time imagine that in the late 60s quite radical very and styled, they were they were all yeah. Some of them were horrible, you know. There's no way about it. it was a lot of racism and a lot of trouble at football, and it was horrible. But again, they adopted a look and a fashion that um, is still you can still see it about. Um, but the original guys, they're, they're really the origins of that are as Jamaican culture, like rude It's basically mm-hmm. the rude culture. So it's that rough and tough thing. And then the suede thing is a little bit softer. And then that sort of gets a little bit into boot boy and glam. So that's that's the year '67 to '73. That's out hopefully out in March. Next year. But we've got a box set that come out with that. We picked out 10 singles with Trojan. We've done it with Trojan. Oh, amazing. So yeah, we, that was great. But that come out before the book, unfortunately, because of the the COVID situation. Sure. We, we weren't quite ready. So they went with the... The book's called Sculture. We an a so there's a track called Sculture. So it's called that. So that's, that's out. I'm writing out with a guy... Well, the main guy on it is a guy called Paul Anderson, Smiler. One of them is Smiler. And he's wrote, he's written it, and I'm, I'm sort of researching and, and just... Trying to push it over the line with him, really, and it's a it's an absolute joy to do. So that'd be out. That in March really. Yeah,
0: yeah. Bax, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today, mate. Lovely.
1: lovely, mate. Really nice, mate.
0: And, and best of luck lovely. with uh, with all the things. And uh, and Thank I'll you. put the uh, a link on uh, the, the the bio when this comes out, so people can go and find find the book.
1: Yeah. Brilliant, mate. And that'd be lovely. Much appreciate that. And uh, look forward to hearing the soundtrack. Yeah, this sounds good. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, well mate. The best, mate. Thanks,
0: mate. Right. Now. there you have it. What a great chat that was. What a, what a top fella as well, uh, Mark was. Uh, really good to to have a, a good chat about uh, some great records and and any opportunity I get to speak about uh, Groovy Mister Blow, which is this bizarre sounding record that's just got i guess it does what it says on the tin it's got a really good groove to it um go and check out the playlist uh over on spotify now um and yeah and as i said at the beginning why not go and have a, a look around in the archives of this podcast because there's 150 160 uh uh episodes that you can go and have a little look and listen to and uh and also as mentioned there is also a patreon page where i put up radio shows each week and stuff Um, Yeah, you can find out about all of this stuff at offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. I'm back next time. Uh, I'll see you soon. Take care. Much love. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South on sea just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fair Wear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code Beat 15. B E A T 1 5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk. Official sponsors of Off the Beat and Track Podcast. It's Off the Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew whipping.